Good. Okay, well, welcome to the Freedom in Christ course. My name is Dale Barlow. It's lovely to see you all. No, I'll stop messing about. That's just for the recorder. So um, let me just turn my time on, and that's good. We've got it recorded. Okay, Jesus said that we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. In the first uh, few sessions that we're going to look at of this course, we're going to look at what it means to be a Christian. And we're going to start with session one by answering the question... Where did we come from? The purpose of the Freedom in Christ course is to help us walk in the freedom that Jesus has won for us. I had a funny experience a couple of weeks ago when I got dropped back at a train station and had to get to my car. I paid £2.50 to get on the bus and I knew that the bus was taking me to just about where my car was, but I didn't know exactly which stop I had to get off at. And so, like the idiot that I am, I got off about a mile away from where I actually needed to be. But not knowing that I was so close to it, I therefore had to get in a taxi that happened to be waiting outside the train station at Elton where I'd got off, and I asked the guy in the taxi to take me to the address where my car was. He promptly got in the car, drove down the road, and ended up following the same bus that I had already paid my £2.50 for, he actually overtook the bus and dropped me virtually a stone's throw away from the bus stop where the bus would have dropped me had I not have been so stupid and got off the bus and got on the taxi. My point of telling you that story, and there is a point, is that Jesus has already paid the price for us to live in freedom. Jesus has already paid the price. And the fact is that if we try and pay again ourselves, that just becomes painful and costly and unnecessary. So I think the question to ask when we start this course is this. How can I walk in the freedom that Jesus has won for us? And Jesus himself answered the question to that in John 8 verse 32. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that word know there, it doesn't just mean know in your head like some academic fact, but it means to know, to understand, to believe the truth in your heart as well as your head. So you've got to understand that you won't get free by some magic prayer that I or anybody else will pray over you. And you won't get free simply because God fills you with his Holy Spirit, as wonderful as that may be. And you won't get free by simply letting go and letting God and trying to just pretend that somehow it will all magically happen. You won't let go by simply trying harder. You won't get free by by just hoping that over time, through osmosis and being around enough Christian people, that somehow it will all become clear. You won't get free by simply coming on this Freedom in Christ course. You will get free by understanding and applying and believing God's word into your heart and into your mind and into your life. You will know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. And where we need to start with this area of truth is we need to understand where we have come from and who we really are. Now that might sound like a stupid question, but it's not so simple. 
If you asked me who I was, I could say that I'm Dale Barlow. But you might say, well, that's just your name. I could say, well, I, I, I lead King's Church in Oxted. But you'd say, well, that's just your job. I could say I'm English, but you'd say, well, that's just where you live. Is the person that you're looking at, is it the real me? Five foot seven, brown, slightly graying hair. Is that who I am? But if you put me on an operating table and chopped off an arm, would I still be me? Two arms, would I still be me? Two legs, would I still be me? Change my heart, give me a kidney transplant. Would I still be me? The question is, what makes up the real me and you? Is it our bodies? Is it what we do? Is it what we have? Is it where we live? The fact is that you and I are created in the image of God. See, we tend to identify ourselves and others from a worldly viewpoint, which means we look at things like appearance, performance, social status, what we have, what we do. But the Bible is clear, that's not really who you are. In Genesis 1.26, it says that he made mankind in God's image. And yet God is not flesh and blood. God is spirit. We have, if you like, a spiritual nature, which, if you like, is your spirit, is our soul. And we also have a physical body. One way of thinking about it, just to get your head around it, is that, if you like, we have an inner person. If you think of your inner person being your spirit, your soul, your mind, and then we also have this outer person, our physical body, our flesh. And, of course, one day our outer body, our flesh, will die and be buried, we'll simply leave it behind. So it can't be our bodies which are created in the image of God, but it's our inner person that's created in his image. It's our inner person that has the ability to think and feel and choose. At the core, we are spiritual beings, which is why I'm afraid to say that the billions of pounds spent by people trying to improve their physical looks is generally an absolute waste of money. The Bible assures us the ultimate reality in the universe is spiritual, not physical. The invisible world is just as real as the visible world. In fact, if you read 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18, it says just everything that you see physically is only temporary. One day it's all going to pass away. But what's spiritual, what is unseen, our spirits, our souls, that is what is going to last forever. When you think about how obsessed we are with the physical, about ourselves and about our world, it's like we are trying to deny that we are spiritual beings at heart. People often say to me on Alpha, why are mediums, why are spiritualists, where does this desire for searching out something spiritual come from? Well, it's the fact that God made us in his image and he is a spiritual being and we are spiritual beings. So how we were designed to be? Well, physically, everyone is descended from one couple, Adam and Eve. I don't know if you know this, I'm not a great scientist, but scientists have now concluded through some clever analysis called mitochondrial DNA that all human beings descended from the same woman. 
And through looking at the Y chromosomes, they've also concluded that all human beings descended from the same man. So it's kind of good to know that medical uh, you know, and science has kind of caught up with what the Bible has always taught. We all came from one man and one woman. Even non-Christian scientists now agree with that. So the question, to answer the question, how were we designed to be? We have to go right back. We have to look at Adam and Eve. We have to look at them. And the key question that we have to ask ourselves is, in what way was Adam alive? And the answer, if you think about it, is in two parts. Firstly, he was physically alive, which simply means that Adam's inner person, his spirit, his soul, was connected to his body, his outer person. That was kind of, that was how Adam was. His inner person, his spirit and his soul was connected to his physical body. And we too are physically alive. We have this body which means we can taste and touch and smell and see, etc, etc. But Adam was also spiritually alive. Because what that means is that Adam's spirit, his inner person, his soul, his spirit was connected to God. But that's how we were designed to be. On one hand, our spirit connected to our body, but on the other hand, our spirit connected to God. See, it was that connection to God that gave Adam a completely different quality of life from simple, mere physical existence. He was spiritually alive, and he was spiritually alive because his spirit, his soul, was connected to God. And if you think about it, it meant that Adam's life had three crucial qualities. The first one being significance. See, God gave Adam a purpose. He said to Adam, your role is to rule over the birds of the sky, the beasts of the field, and the fish of the sea. Adam's role was, in relationship with God, to rule over the whole of God's creation. Adam didn't have to search or agonise for the meaning of life. He had it. God told him. You rule over my creation in relationship with me, Adam. That's your role. He had significance. The second thing that Adam had was security. He was totally safe and secure in God's presence. Everything he needed was provided. Food, shelter. Just imagine this. Before the fall... Adam had no needs and he had no concept of what need was. He didn't even have an understanding of what a need was. Because everything that he had, everything that he needed, was there, given to him by God as his provider who walked with him in the garden. Complete security. The third thing that Adam had was acceptance. He had this intimate relationship with God. C can you just fathom what it was like to walk in the cool of the day with God? To just go for a walk with him? Complete, full attention. And then God actually made Eve for Adam... So that Adam had this sense of not only belonging to God, but actually belonging to, if you like, another 
human being like him. And not only did Adam feel complete acceptance to God, but him and his new companion Eve, well, they felt complete acceptance together with God. They were completely naked, completely unashamed, completely intimate with each other before God, and none of them felt any embarrassment. That's how accepted they felt. And that's how God created you and me to be. We were created for that kind of life. A life of complete security, real purpose, no need to worry about anything. Absolute sense of belonging to God and belonging to other people. That was the, that was the life that Adam and Eve were created for and that was the life that they enjoyed. Which is why the fall is such devastation. Such devastation. Let's just look at the consequences of the fall as the Bible explains it. The first consequence of the fall was spiritual death. For any of you that don't know, Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan when they disobeyed God and that's what the Bible calls sin. So Genesis 2.17 Adam and Eve were told, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat it you will surely die. But that's what they did. They ate and they died. But they didn't die physically. That came years later. So what's the Bible talking about? It's talking about spiritual death. See, if I'm telling you that by being alive meant they were connected to God, spirit to spirit, when the Bible says if you eat that, you will die, and they didn't die physically, it can only mean one thing, that they died spiritually. That connection that their spirits had to God was broken in an instant. And from that moment on, they were spiritually separated from God. And the consequence of that is that every person like you and I is born into this world spiritually separated from God. We're born physically alive but spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that we are born dead in our transgressions and sins. It doesn't mean that we're born, you know, stillborn. It means that we're born physically alive. We have a body and our body is connected to our spirits and our soul but there is no connection with God. It's been separated. There's been a spiritual death. And the effect of that one sin is many and varied, but you could sum it up in one word, and that word would be death. And if we think through some of the effects of that death for Adam and Eve and for us, the first one is that they lost their knowledge of God. In a sense, their knowing God their wisdom of who he was, was no longer there. They were left to discover their identity and purpose and meaning for life, independent of their creator. And you see the evidence of, evidence of this happens almost immediately. When Adam eats the apple, the first thing that he does is to try and hide from God. How stupid can you be to try and hide from an all-knowing God? But the reason why is because in an instant, his knowledge of God, the wisdom that he had, that connection between Adam's spirit and God's spirit, is suddenly gone. And he does the most stupid thing possible. He decides to play hide-and-seek with an all-knowing God. Something he would never have done before he ate the apple. He would never have needed to. But in fact, it's gone. The knowledge, him knowing God, 
intimately as gone. In Ephesians 4, verse 18, Paul describes Adam's descendants, you and I, as being like this, darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of God. Everybody after Adam is born spiritually dead. We can't even discern the things of God because they're discerned spiritually. To be in relationship with God was to know God. So when Adam and Eve were banished from God's presence, they just lost that intimate knowledge. And the truth is that that's how you and I came into this world, without a true and intimate knowledge of God. And we can come to have a true and intimate knowledge of God, but it can't happen until and unless we establish that relationship with God through Jesus. It's why the Apostle Paul says, do you know what? I consider everything rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Because Paul understood that it was only as he went through Jesus Christ that his, he could be reconnected, if you like, with God. He could have a real and intimate relationship with God like Adam. Not some kind of theological, conceptual relationship, but actually spirit to spirit. Why? Because when we get saved, who comes to live inside of us? The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of our spirits. And so there is this reconnection. And that's what Paul understands. So the first thing you see with Adam is a lost knowledge of God. The second thing we see as a consequence of the fall is negative emotions. Adam and Eve suddenly experience a whole wave of negative emotions which they'd never experienced before. The first one is they felt fear and anxiety. Fearful and anxious. Once Adam had finished hiding and God had said to him, Adam, what are you doing? And Adam said, I'm hiding. God said, why? And Adam said, because I was afraid. That's the first negative expression ever uttered by mankind. Do you know what the most repeated commandment in the Bible is? Do not be afraid. Anxiety disorders are the number one mental health problem in the world. But until Adam and Eve sinned, nobody had any concept of what fear was. But now we are all born with, with, if you like, a driving need to get back to that position of security which they lost. And because we can't, we are fearful and we are anxious. The second one you see is they're guilty and they were ashamed. Once their relationship with God was broken, their sense of significance was replaced by a sense of guilt and shame. And similarly, we're all born with this drive to get back that sense of significance. The sense of guilt and shame that we've kind of inherited from Adam makes most people frightened to death to let anybody else find out what they might really be like. So identity crisis and negative self-image that maybe we think of as a modern phenomenon because of the internet and because of all these other modern whizzy things that people can put all their things on Facebook or whatever else. The reality is this. Identity crisis and negative self-image have been huge problems for mankind since the fall. And much of that is because of the guilt and shame that came when we lost our significance or our sense of significance that we were supposed to get from God. The third one is they felt rejected. 
Adam and Eve had this sense of belonging, complete acceptance. But when they sinned and that was broken, what came was this crushing sense of rejection. And in fact, every one of us is born with this sense of rejection and it creates within us a need for acceptance. Just think through, why is peer pressure such a force, such a huge pressure to us? It's because it takes so much courage to stand, or what, stand up against what others are doing or what others are saying. Because we feel rejected and our need for acceptance is so great that peer pressure can have such a, a powerful effect on us. The fourth one is they felt weak and powerless. See, originally, Adam and Eve had the power of God within them to be and do all that he commanded them to do. When God said rule over everything, they didn't say, well, how are we going to do that? Because they had a connection with God. They had the wisdom of God. They knew God. It wasn't even a question. They didn't even know that they didn't have the power to do it. They knew God, and so they didn't even ask the question. And yet, as soon as it's broken, they've now suddenly got to rely on their own strength, their own resources. And the truth is that we're all born with a sense of being alone in a world that we can't control. Which is why from an early age, we end up growing up trying to act strong and trying to act and trying to gain some kind of control in our lives. The problem is that we were designed to be completely dependent on God. But because we don't know God, we end up trying to become masters of our own destinies. And unfortunately, this often outworks itself in us ending up trying to control other people. And that never works, because actually there's no one more insecure than a controlling person. The fifth one that they, negative emotion that they felt, was they felt depressed and angry. And you see this in the next generation really clearly with Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. God didn't accept Cain's offering. And rather than going back to God and saying, God, why don't you accept my offering? He got depressed and he got angry and he killed his brother. And depression is the number two mental health problem in the world. In fact, it's so widespread that they now call it the common cold of mental illness. And despite all our advances in technology and everything else, we live in an age of anxiety and depression. And the root of that goes right back to the fall and what mankind lost there. So that's a pretty... You can understand, can't you, when you think about the fall in those terms, you can understand of the devastating consequence that it had, not only for Adam and Eve, but for the whole of mankind of which we are included in. So trying to get back to how it was meant to be, let me tell you something that I'm sure you already know. Firstly, the best the world can offer doesn't work. It simply does not work. As a result of the fall, we were born with these strong drivers to try and regain the acceptance, the security, the significance that Adam and Eve enjoyed and lost. But the problem is that we don't know how to. It's no surprise then we're more than a little confused about who we are and what really makes us happy. And the best the world can give us or offer is really a number of false equations, which when you think about them, they actually promise to give us back what Adam and Eve lost. 
They're in your manuals halfway down page 14. The first one is this. Performance and accomplishments equals significance. If you perform well, and therefore if you accomplish lots of stuff, that will give you a sense of significance. The second one that it says is this. Status plus recognition will give you security. If you manage to give yourself a certain status in this world, a certain place within the community, and if other people look at that and they recognise that and they see that you are a man or woman of status, that you are someone, you will have a feeling of security. And the third one is appearance plus admiration equals acceptance. If you look good, if you look current, if you look smart, and if other people then see that and admire that in you, that will give you the sense of acceptance. Because you're cool, you're one of the crowd, you're with it, you're da da da. Shame it's not been videoed for that move, isn't it? But the truth is that human effort through appearance, performance, social status simply cannot recapture what Adam and Eve lost. It doesn't matter how good you look, what job you've got, how much stuff you earn or own, it will not replace what was lost when Adam and Eve fell. Consider Solomon. King Solomon in the Bible, who was the king of the greatest nation ever. He had the power to do whatever he wanted and the money to finance it. I forget how many wives he had, several hundred. He could do whatever he wanted. This was a guy in his reign that he would have, everything would be gold because silver was basically worthless to him. He had so much money. With all these things, though, Solomon was trying to find the purpose, the meaning to life, without God. The problem was that back in the day, God had said to Solomon, what do you want? Solomon said, I want wisdom. So God gave him the wisdom to interpret what he discovered about life without God. And this is what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It doesn't matter how much money, fame, men, women, power, nations, continents you have. Because you know what? When you die, you leave them all behind. They will not give you significant security and acceptance. No matter how much the advertisers tell you that you're worth it. That your life will be transformed if only you had the new Samsung Galaxy phone. If you drink this beer, you will. If you drive this car... Your life, well, is that not how the advertisers sell you these things? But the reality is that they will not give back what we lost in the fall. Bernard Langer, the German golfer, said this, By the time I was 28 years, I had basically achieved almost everything that I'd wanted to. I realised that material things don't make you happy, that there must be more in life than just accumulating money in the bank or cars or houses or whatever. You just want more, more, more. And we are never satisfied. We can't get life back by trying harder or dressing to impress or getting this job or that job because the fundamental problem is that we were born separated from God. The second thing I want to tell you in terms of trying to get back to how it was is that obeying rules don't work. Trying to obey rules do not work. See, God always had a plan to restore humanity, but first, he had to convince us 
because we're the ones that don't understand mankind, that self-help and human efforts were never going to meet our needs. So God made a covenant with mankind based on this concept of the law. And basically it went like this. He said, you know what? If you can live according to my good laws, like don't murder and don't steal and don't commit adultery, good laws, not, not bad ones, all good laws, if you can live according to those, then I'll bless you. How about that? And of course what we found is that we couldn't keep those laws. We couldn't keep God's good laws. And so actually what was supposed to be a blessing for us actually became a curse because we found that we couldn't actually even keep God's good laws. And if you read the Old Testament, that is what you see, the story of men and women trying, trying in a sense, to reconnect with God through keeping his good laws and finding they couldn't even do that. You see, laws and rules are powerless to give us back that spiritual life that Adam and Eve lost. And so why did God, in a sense, put those covenants with the laws in place? Well, in Galatians 3, it tells us, it said God did that so that the laws might be like a signpost to Jesus. It might be like a tutor to us, that it might teach us fallen and often foolish humans that actually no amount of effort or trying to obey even good laws is going to reconnect us to God. It's supposed to be our tutor. God was actually making mankind aware of our utter hopelessness caused by this separation. And so in his mercy, he set up the laws and he set up the sacrificial system. But it was only really to show us. And if you read the Old Testament, you see people in despair because they suddenly realise they can't get back to God through trying to obey even good laws. And they understood that killing a, an animal for what they'd done didn't really cut the mustard. And it was supposed to be so that we would realise, oh, this is not going to work. This can't reconnect my spirit back to God. But the truth is that that's how we all came in to this world. We actually come into this world and it's quite different from how God meant it to be. And the key difference is that we were cut off from him, cut off from the source of true spiritual life. So in that light, we now come to look at what Jesus came to do. See, the first thing that Jesus came to do was give us back this spiritual life. When you think this through, the only answer is not to try harder or to make more laws, but it is somehow to restore our relationship with God. If you like to reconnect our inner person, our soul, our spirit, back to God's spirit, and so become spiritually alive again. And the truth was that that was not something that we could establish ourselves. And so God sent Jesus to do his work and to undo the work of Satan who had deceived Adam and Eve and caused the separation. See, Jesus was like Adam in that he was both physically and spiritually alive, but he never sinned. He actually modelled for us how a spiritually alive person can live in this fallen world if we live in complete dependence on God. But Jesus came to do much more than just give us an example. If I asked you why Jesus came... Most of you, I hope, would correctly say that he came to forgive our sins. Any of you who have just come through Alpha, I hope, you would have understood. That's the basis of the Alpha course. Jesus is true, he's alive, 
and he came to die for our sins. Now that's true and wonderful, but it's only a means to an end. The cross was only a means to an end. It was a very great and costly means, but still only a means. Jesus himself tells us the end. He tells us why he came. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus didn't say, I came that their sins might be forgiven. He did come so our sins could be forgiven, but our sins needed to be forgiven. Why? So that we may have life. What did Adam lose when he sinned? He lost his spiritual life. What did Jesus come to give us back? He came to give us back spiritual life. And when you understand that, you start seeing this word life appearing all over the New Testament and you understand the fuller meaning of it. John 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning was the word, talking about Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. See, when we become Christians, our spirit is reconnected to God's spirit. As I said, that happens because God says, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reconnect your spirit to my spirit, but I'm going to do it like this. I'm now going to put my Holy Spirit inside your heart. I'm going to come and live within you, and I'm going to make that reconnection that was lost when Adam sinned. And therefore, once that's been done, you and I can know God in that intimate way that Adam and Eve knew him. What Adam lost was life, and what Jesus came to give us was life. The second thing that Jesus came to do is to restore our significance, our security, and our acceptance. See, eternal life is not something you get when you die, but it's about a quality of life that starts when you'll get saved and goes on through eternity. This is how the Apostle John puts it as bluntly in 1 John 5 verse 12. He says, he who has the Son, that's Jesus, has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. In other words, he who is a Christian has a connection with God. He who does not, does not have a connection with God. That's what John is saying here. The moment we receive Christ, we become children of God. We have the life of Christ, if you like, within us. It makes restoration of what Adam and Eve lost in the fall. Therefore, our need to establish an identity and to be accepted and secure and significant now have up the opportunity to get fully met in Jesus Christ. Let me read for you and if you turn to page 17, you can follow it with me. But let me read to you how our significance and our security and our acceptance gets restored in Christ. I am significant. I'm no longer worthless, inadequate, helpless or hopeless. In Christ, I'm deeply significant and special. God says, I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I am a branch of the true vine, Jesus, a channel of his life. I have been chosen and appointed by God to bear fruit. I am a personal spirit-empowered witness of Christ. I am a temple of God. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am God's fellow worker. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship, created for good works. 
I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am secure. I'm no longer guilty, unprotected, alone or abandoned. In Christ I am totally secure. God says I'm free forever from condemnation. I'm assured that all things work together for good. I'm free from any condemning charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established, anointed and sealed by God. I'm confident that the good work God has begun in me will be perfected. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. I can find grace and mercy to help in time of need. I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. I am accepted. I am no longer rejected, unloved or dirty. In Christ I am completely accepted. God says I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord and I am one spirit with him. I have been bought at a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint, a holy one. I have been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven for all my sins. I am complete in Christ. It's not bad, is it? <laughs> well, in fact, it's good news. It's all there. When you read those things, so you may find it difficult to believe that they are really true of you. But if you're a Christian here tonight, they are all completely true of you because God says that they're true of you. The question is this, and we'll end with this, but we'll come back to it in the second talk. If these are all true, because God says they're true, are you going to believe what the creator of the universe says about you, or are you going to believe or trust what your feelings or other people would say about you? We'll tackle that one in the second session.